you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're actually going to be looking at a number of passages as we go through uh, a new study that we will begin uh, today and look at for another 11 weeks. What does it mean to long for heaven? And uh, part of this came through a challenge through uh, a friend who's in a place where he's thinking he's going to be dying soon and was just asking me some very pointed questions about what it's going to be like to be in heaven. And um, so again, I want you to understand as we begin this process that again, I'm not going to be able to answer everything in the course of one uh, sermon. So I'm not going to be able to answer if your dog is going to be in heaven or what exactly are you going to be able to go water skiing while you're there or all those kind of things. I don't have all of those answers and might not have any of those answers for you as we go through the study, because we want to see what the Word of God has to say. But it's uh, something that many people don't talk about. It's, it's not very uh, common that people do series on heaven. And part of it could be, it's just like where those who don't put together a, a will because they think if they put together the will, um, they're going to end up dying. So a lot of times I think pastors don't talk about heaven because they don't want to die. But the answer to that is to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so hopefully I don't die at the end of the 11 weeks. But if I do, you'll be much better for it and you guys will go on. So it's all good. So as we begin this process, though, let us go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get started in trying to find out what it is we need to understand about the longings we have for heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you because you are truth. And Father, we need to hear your words as you have revealed them to us through the scriptures that you've given to us and your son, Jesus Christ. And then Father, may we allow it to transform us, transform our thinking, transform our focus, transform our worship so that we might keep our eyes focused where they need to be upon Jesus Christ and him alone. And so, Father, as we begin this study, Lord, I ask that you would send the Holy Spirit, that you would allow us to grasp and understand the truths that you're about to teach us. But more than that, Lord, that we would apply it. And, Lord, that it would change us, change us to look more like our Savior, but also change our worship. For we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. There's an expert from Huck Finn, and Miss Watson is talking to Huck, and she says this. It's coming from Huck's point of view. Then she told me about the bad place, and I said, I wished I was there. And she got mad then, but I didn't mean no harm. All I wanted was to go somewheres. All I wanted was a change. I weren't particular. She said it was wicked to say what I said. She said she wouldn't say it for the whole world. She was going to live so as to go to the good place. Well, I couldn't see no advantage in going where she was going. So I made up my my mind. I wouldn't try for it. But I never said so because it would only make trouble and wouldn't do no good. Now she had a good start and went on and told me all about the good place. She said all a body would have to do there was to go around all day long with a harp and sing forever 
and ever. So I didn't think much of it, but I never said so. So I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. And I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions about heaven. There's a lot of lies about what heaven is like. And so we're going to go through the process of unpacking that this morning. But Randy Alcorn, who wrote a book on heaven and has done extensive study, says this in response to this quote. If Miss Watson had told Huck what the Bible says about living in a resurrected body and being with people we love on a resurrected earth, with gardens and rivers and mountains and untold adventures. Now, wouldn't that have gotten Huckleberry's attention? So hopefully through this process, you will lose the misconception and the lies that you might have. And as we begin to unpack the truths of the scripture, may it change your focus and your perspective to a thing of looking forward to the many adventures we're going to have with God and loved ones seeing how the earth's going to be changed and the things that are going to remain the same. But maybe, just maybe, we'll start to get excited and let our, imagines be, our imagination start to go and expand just a little bit to be what it would be like. Not only with God, and that's the most important thing, but then all the goodness that he gives to us. So as we begin this morning, I want to look at the lies and misconceptions as we begin this study because it does matter. And so the first thing we're going to see came from what Jim read for us out of the John passage. And we need to understand that lying matters. So there is the power of words. We all know the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is one of the most untrue statements ever spoken. There's been more damage done, more hurts, more pain, more suffering by lies. Because words are powerful, especially lies. Listen to the things that have gone on. The P.T. Barnum circus of frauds. How he misled, how he abused people in the midst of his circus. The Cuban Missile Crisis that happened because of lies. The Ponzi scheme that was started by Charles Ponzi that we would say came through the Bernie Madoff scheme where $18 billion was lost because of his lies. Propaganda that's putting out there, the Chernobyl disaster and how many people were affected by the lies and the time that it took to tell the truth. The lies about cigarette smoking that's not addictive. Joseph Stalin lying about starvation. We talk about our people in places of office who lie all the time. See, words have power and they have meaning. But the question that we should ask is why do we lie? It's because it's our sin nature. It's part of our development. It's part of a learned behavior. Because here's the truth. Everyone has and everyone will lie. 
And so our children have seen us, we've talked about, and we start to, to make distinctions between what are big lies and what are white little lies. What are harmful lies? What are half-truths? Why do we start to begin to make those little distinctions? Because we're all liars. Now, where does that come from? Well, we get it naturally because the scripture told us very clearly that we have our father, Satan, and he's the father of lies. The passage that we read, the, the first John, or John 8, tells us that he is a liar. Because if we wanted the truth, if we listened to the truth, then we would hear what Jesus has to say. And for those who are Christians, we begin to hear those truths. And it begins to transform us, to transform our thinking, it transforms our understanding. But for those who don't know Christ, we remain still children of lies. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire, for he is a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's a liar. And all of us lie because we get it naturally from him. Now, we have to recognize that because he is the father of lies, that, that he is someone that brings about counter, counterfeits to God. And if you'll see that if you go to the scripture, you'll see that Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. But Satan's called the Lion that seeks to go out and devour. Jesus is someone who brings light He's the angel. The, the devil's the angel of light. He, he's someone who goes and he's trying to give us counterfeits. And he sounds convincing. He sounded convincing to Adam and Eve, didn't he? Hey, don't you want to be like God? And every one of us in this room wants to be like God. We want to decide our own fate. We want to decide what we're going to do. We want to decide what's right in our lives and other people's lives. We want to. And so Satan is someone who tries to, to, to sound very convincing. And, and again, if you look at the Barna information as they've gone out and did a study on heaven, one of the statements that it makes is it says, we in America have so changed the gospel because we believe the lies that if we just are good people, we're going to heaven. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And what makes you think that you're good? Again, if we had all of our lives plastered up on the screen behind me, we will all be embarrassed by what we think about people, by what we've said about people, and these are people we like. And so none of us are good. And so we have to understand that as Satan, he, as he comes out in this counterfeit, he's not a fool. Because the scripture makes a distinction between someone who's a fool, someone who doesn't know the truth. But then there's the, the wise man who understands the truth and puts it into practice. But then there's the scoffer. The one who knows the truth, but doesn't, doesn't live it out. And that's who Satan is. He's a scoffer of everything that God is about. And so he simulates God, but John 10.10 10 says this. He comes as a thief only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. 
So Satan's coming to seek you out, to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you. And so we have to be aware of who Satan is and what he does. And so we, one, never underestimate his strength. He is someone who, who is wise in some ways. Not in regards to saving faith, but he's, he's wise to the ways of the world. And he comes and he speaks to us. And he whispers in our ears. But even though we, we don't underestimate his power, we, don't, we should never overestimate his power either. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. And we have to remind ourselves of what it says in Luke 22. Remember when Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. You know how easy it is to sift wheat? You throw it up. That's all you have to do. You let the wind do the rest of the work. Hey, Peter, he wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to destroy who you are. But then how does Jesus respond? But I have prayed for you. Jesus prays for you. He prays for your strength. He pays for your knowledge. And I want you to get this truth. Satan can listen. He can oppress you. He can assault you. He can tempt you. He can slander you. And he can accuse you. But a Christian who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit can never be possessed by him or a demon. He has no power over you. And we have to recognize that as we come and that we hear this as he begins to tell us all these lies. But he doesn't just lie in general. He lies specifically against heaven. Where do we see this? Revelation 13.6 says this. For it, the beast, opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. So not only is Satan just saying general lies, not only is he just trying to steal and kill you and destroy who you are, he's speaking lies against heaven. Now why would he do this? See, he whispered lies about the very place on which God tells you to set your hearts and your minds. We have to answer the question, where are we going? I hate to to bring this truth to your attention. Everybody dies. Everybody. It doesn't matter how great our medical thing gets. It doesn't matter how many things happen. It doesn't matter how much you pray to God. As of this moment in time, everybody dies. And as such, we are to keep our eyes focused Of where we need to go. But Satan is so good about speaking lies. That he begins to rob us of our joy and anticipation. And so what happens is we begin to focus on the world. And so we grab onto things here. And it's it's part of our nature again. When I'm over at the Booker T. Washington community. And we're speaking at Powell. One of the examples that I gave is I, I had money and I had candy. But I had it set aside. And what would happen is I would bring out Jolly Ranchers in front of them. I said, okay, you can have this amount of candy now, these Jolly Ranchers now, or you can wait until after I'm finished with my study and you can have what's over here. And I'm going to tell you, it's something good. 
I didn't even lie to him. I said, well, I didn't say, oh, it could be something good, it could be something bad. You don't know. You're taking a chance. It's something good. You're going to want it. And I was amazed at how quickly the kids took the candy that was in front of them. And then when I brought out that there was candy and money at the end, oh man, why didn't you tell me that? I told you it was something good. Why didn't you wait? I don't know. We grab after the things of this earth. They're so temporary. But they become so attractive to us. And Satan's just like, if that's all he can get you to do, he's won. Not to hate God. Not, he just wants you to become forgetful of who he is and the things that he gives you. And so Satan puts things into our minds. He wants us to focus on this world. But I want you to to grasp and understand that God still, even in the midst of the lies and the damage that Satan has done, he still gives us a foretaste. He gives us a foretaste. Because listen, God has not abandoned his original plan for mankind and the earth. What God started, he will complete. It's truth. And so we have to understand that when we see beauty... Here in a fallen world, and the places that, that I remember, the, the sunsets that were so beautiful that you stopped the car. You took a picture. Double rainbows up on Pike's Peak, and you get to see on a clear day the valley down below. When you get to see the ocean, I remember going on my grandparents' porch growing up in Cocoa Beach and watching the, the lightning storms that were off, way off in the, in the ocean, but sitting there and just seeing how beautiful it was while you're still hearing the, the power of the ocean, of the waves coming in on the shore. Now imagine all of that without sin or death or suffering or corruption. How much greater is it going to be? See, we have a foretaste of that which is good. And it should make us long for heaven. So we have Satan who lies to us, but then we have to realize as well that context matters. Now there's an understanding where we have worldly misconceptions. And so the first thing we look at is world religions, because world religions are answering, trying to answer the question of origin, where did we come from, ethics, how should we live, meaning, what's our purpose in life, but also our destiny. Where is mankind heading? And again, all the different world religions have a view on death. But only three, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, say that they have a revelation from God to show us how to get there. And so Judaism and Islam said, we got it wrong with the New Testament and ultimately with Jesus. And we say, everything is based on those two facts. And so we have this world religions that's trying to give us misconceptions about what it's going to, heaven's going to be, and if we're going to have all these versions, if we're going to be sitting on our couch, if we're going to be reincarnated, if we're going to have um, different planets, if we're not going to have any kind of body, if we're just going to simply go to oblivion, all these different views are out there. And so sometimes it gives us misconceptions. Sometimes it's about culture. How many of you have 
believe the satire of Satan being a little uh, person who's in red with a pitchfork, in red tights, with cloven feet, and horns on his head. Where in the Bible do you find that description? Nowhere. But probably every child in this room, if you were to show them that picture, would say, oh, well, that's the devil. See, we get this misconception. Now, can it be based off of some truth? Does it talk about the, the dragon that has the horns? Yes. Does it talk about it having a tail? Yes. But it's also mixed with so many other things. And so we have these misnomers uh, that happen in culture, but it also comes through music, TV, and music. Listen to this. When I started to do, um, looked in this up, there are six songs, six songs that its title is Heaven. Now this comes from Kane Brown, Julia Michaels, Brian Adams, Los Lonely Boys, um, who else? The Psychedelic Furs. And this doesn't count the other ones like Warren. It doesn't count Belinda Carlisle, Heaven is a Place on Earth, Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, The Cure, Just Like Heaven, Eric Clapton, Tears in Heaven, Robert Plant, Heaven Knows, Gun and Roses, Knocking on Heaven's Door, Luther Vandross, Can Heaven Wait, Heart Like Heaven, Hillsong, Bruno Mars, Locked Out of Heaven. These are just a few. So these are just songs and listen to them. Go and listen to them and just see how messed up they are. The one I think you actually got it most besides the Hillsong one, okay? I guess the Christian one's right. Los Lonely Boys. Listen to the song. But so many misconstrued ideas. Listen to the kind of shows that are out there. Ghost, Bill and Ted's Bogus Adventure, Our Christmas Carol, Bruce Almighty, What Dreams May Come, Touched by an Angel, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Angels in the Outfield, Heaven Can Wait, Monty Python, The Holy Grail, The Good Place, The Shack, and it goes on and on and on. And so what is it, what do you think that does for us? It confuses people. So what is heaven really like? Well, part of that is because we have a lack of study. We have a lack of study. Listen, if you go and ask a pastor if they had a class on heaven, or even in a class that they had, even in Revelation, it's usually it's so late with the new heavens and the new earth in the class that we finished it before we get to the end. They talk a lot about how to get to heaven, but they don't say very much about heaven. And how many of you have done a study on heaven itself? Very few. So we go off of these lies and misconceptions. And so there's ideas that we're going to be playing harps on clouds. There are ideas. Um, Pastor John Eldred said this. Everybody I talk to still has these anemic, and sorry, anemic, wispy views of heaven as a place up there somewhere where we go to attend the eternal worship in the sky. Who wants to go to eternal worship service? Now, does it mean that we get to worship God? Yes. But there also means there's work. There's adventure. And that's all a part of worshiping him. It's why we are a part of the Reformed faith. So can you go out and serve to the glory of God? Yes. That's why Eric Little said when he was in the Olympics, 
And his, his sister was telling him, we need to go back. We need to be missionaries. And he says, God made me fast. And when I run fast, I know that he is pleased. God gives us these things. And the last thing that people tell is it's going to be boring up in heaven. That's the last thing heaven's going to be. It's the last thing. And so we need to get out of these misconceptions and these lies. And and we have to recognize that we have to keep things in context too. Because even Christians get things wrong. And I want you to understand that context does matter. Warning to all of us. If you are a one verse or a one word theology theologian, then I shudder. First of all, I tell you very clearly, don't have one translation of the Bible. Have at least four translations of the Bible. And then look at the differences between them. And then ask yourself the question, why? Why did this one translation um, put this one way and this one this way? One of the, the biggest things that are that's written in this regard comes from 1 Corinthians 2. Now, again, as you go to Scripture, you should be asking these questions. Who was it written about? Who was it written to? And now how does it apply to me? So one of the, the places where it's taken out of context comes from the 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 6-16. through 16. So here's the passage that you were looking at this morning. Yet among the mature do we impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. For none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. For these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God." For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, that we might understand the things freely given him by God. And we impart this in worlds not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now we read the whole passage in in that perspective because most people go to one verse in that whole section and they pull it out in regards to we cannot know about heaven. And it's verse 9. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So they said, see, we can't know what heaven is like. Now I want you to understand, I read the whole passage because context matters. This passage isn't even about heaven. Has nothing to do with heaven at all. All this passage has to do with is human wisdom is bad. Godly wisdom is good. Has nothing to do with heaven. But even if it did deal with heaven, the people forget to go to verse 10. But these things God has revealed to us. How? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And where do we find the truths that the Spirit teaches us? In the Word of God. So we have to make sure that we keep the whole perspective, and that's why we're going to be going and taking a lot of weeks and looking into this, of making sure we keep the context where it's supposed to be. 
And as we unpack it, then we'll understand that truth matters. Truth matters. See, there's the understanding that, again, we understand that there is a God. And if there is a God, it doesn't matter if he doesn't reveal himself to us. And so it's a big deal that God reveals truth. And so we understand that, one, God is the creator of all things. Now, this is a big deal for us to understand. There's an illustration that there was an older gentleman who bought a new machine. And as he set it up, it got to the place where he thought it was broken. And so he went back to the company, says, please send someone down to fix my machine. And so they did. But they sent a very young kid. And the owner was pretty ticked off because he thought he was being snookered a little bit. And so he was getting this young kid who didn't really know what he was doing. And so uh, he called back. He says, you sent somebody down here, but you sent the wrong person. And they responded by saying, this is the guy who created the machine. He, of all people, is going to know the truth. God, by his very nature, being the creator of all things, is the author of all truth. And so we go to him for truth. Listen to what um, the Christian apologist Robbie Zacharias says. The fact is, truth matters, especially when you're on the receiving end of a lie. And nowhere is this more important than in the area of faith and religion. For eternity is an awfully long time to be wrong. Truth matters. And so God comes to us, and as the Creator, He reveals this truth. And He reveals this truth in very specific ways. He gives us general revelation. And so those foretastes of heaven that we get, there is something that we go and we look at and we go, this is beautiful. When you hold that new child in your arms, that's beautiful. When you see creation the way it's supposed to be, that's beautiful. When you experience love in friendships or in your family, that's beautiful. And so we have this grass that in general revelation, we get an experience, a foretaste of what it should be, of what it could be. But then he gives to us something very specific. He gives to us special revelation. He gives us his written word, but he also gave us Jesus. And listen to this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes a very specific statement. I am truth. It's the same thing as he has the experience with Pilate. What is truth? If you're a politician, you are seeking for truth because you never know because it's always changing. We've all heard a president. Well, it depends on how you define what is, is. No, you don't. Truth is truth. A lie is a lie. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the truth. I am of the Father. Well, now how do we know that he is the truth? Because he was resurrected. Romans 1, 4, and it was declared, and he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everybody else is still in their graves. Jesus is the only one who's alive. 
And so by him being alive and being resurrected and he having his new resurrected body and his body is probably the only one that's going to have any kind of scars in heaven. You won't. So all those surgeries you got, all those broken bones that you've had over the years, all those cuts and scrapes that have given you these scars that you can look to and go, oh, I ran into a wall there. Oh, I I went uh, skiing here. Uh, I just got old with this one. All of yours goes away. You're perfect. There's only one person walking around in heaven's scars. It's the only person that should never have had any scars. Because Jesus Christ says, this is how much I loved you. I'm scarred for all eternity because I took your sins upon me. And as I took your sins upon me, I defeated sin and death and Satan himself. And I give to you my righteousness, my perfection, my opportunity to say to your God, Dad, Dad, I'm home. Do you look forward to that day? To the day that Jesus is there, open arms? No more pain. Wipes away every tear. No more sorrows. What a day that's going to be. So we get this perspective that comes from the scripture. And we need to believe this. Listen to what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says as we begin to start to close. We all know, question one, what is man's primary purpose? Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Enjoy Him forever. But then question two and question three apply. So what authority from God directs us how to glorify and enjoy Him? What is His? How does He tell us? The only authority for glorifying and enjoying Him is the Bible, which is the Word of God, and it's made up of the Old and New Testaments. So what does the Bible primarily teach? It teaches us two things. The Bible primarily teaches what man must believe about God and what God requires of man. See, we're not guessing at this. God, because he loves us, reveals himself to us through his word. And we of all generations have more access to the word of God. We know it. You can have it on your phone. You can have it on your tablet. You can have it on your computer. You can have it in multiple copies. People give it away for free. And this is a true fact. The Bible is the most stolen book ever. But it's also this day and age is the people who know scripture the least. Why is that? Because it's not important. It's always there, right? We can always look it up. We can always have it. He comes to us and he says, study, go deep so that we might be transformed. Transformed in the renewing of our minds. Transformed in our focus. So that we might look to Christ. 
So in the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at specific things. We're going to look at Eden. How was the original? What do we need to learn? What do we need to know about heaven and and Hades now? What do we need to know about the new heavens and the new earth? Because they're all different. And will I answer some of those questions of will there be animals in heaven? Somewhat. We'll see what God has to teach us. But my desire is that you would long, long for heaven and to be with your Savior forevermore. Because I can promise you this, it's not going to be boring. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, as we begin this study, I ask that you would, you would teach us. For Lord, this is a place that we, we look forward to and we're just seeing just vaguely. And Lord, even the, the people that did get the opportunity to see heaven still couldn't, couldn't tell us exactly because it was beyond comprehension. Father, you know. And you told us through Christ that he's going to prepare a place for us even now. Heavenly Father, may we take our eyes off of this world and put them where they need to be and focus upon Christ and Him alone. And Lord, may we truly long for the day where we're forever in Your presence, where we, along with the elders, bow down and we cast all our treasures before You. For You and You alone are worthy to be praised. And so, Father, you teach us and you change us. And then, Lord, let us not keep it in, but go and tell others around us. Quit looking for counterfeits and secondary things. Look for that which is real and eternal. And that can only be found in Christ. And that will be in the new heavens and the new earth. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.